Pablo Fancas, Circus Royale, Town Meadows, Rochdale, grandest night of the season, and positively the last night but three, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, late of Wells' Circus, and Mr. J. Henderson, the celebrated Somerset thrower, wire dancer, Walter Ryder, on Tuesday evening, February 14, 1843. Messrs. Kite and Henderson, in announcing the following entertainments, assure the public that this night's production will be one of the most splendid ever produced in this town, having been some days in preparation. Mr. Kite will, for this night only, introduce the celebrated horse, Xanthus, well known to be one of the best broke horses in the world. <laughs> this isn't keep going. Not long enough. This is going to pay off. <laughs> Mr. Henderson will, for the first time in Rochdale, introduce his extraordinary trampoline leaps and somersets over men and horses, through hoops, over garters, and lastly, through a hogshead of real fire. In this branch of the profession, Mr. H challenges the world. Mr. Henderson will undertake the arduous task of throwing 21 somersets on the solid ground. Mr. Kite will appear for the first time this season on the tightrope when two gentlemen amateurs of this town will perform with him. For particulars, see Bills of the Day at Kenny Rogers Roasters. No, it's not on there. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. It was 55 years ago today and Capital EMI presents the re-re-re-re-re-release of Sgt. Pepper. Now more expensive. <laughs> yes, get out your pound notes. Forget your guineas and your hay pennies. We need full pound notes. We need $100 bills. It's Sgt. Pepper. 55th anniversary. We are celebrating it. Tony, I've read the intro to the Lewis and book two. I got as far as the breakdown of the British financial system. Pre <laughs> I'm like, maybe this, maybe I'm not a reader. There'll be some change then. Yeah, because sometime in the 70s, like uh, they got rid of all those uh, those little things like guineas or whatever the hell it was. The farthing, the halfpenny, the penny, the threepence, the sixpence, the shilling, the florin, the half crown, the crown, the half sovereign, the pound. The groat, the angel, the fine sovereign, the guinea. And then they became New Guineas. <laughs> they did become New Guinea. And they had a, a dad known as Papa New Guinea. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying words. <laughs> I don't know what any of this means. Say the word and you'll be free. We're talking pepper today, Tony, in honor of the vaunted 55th anniversary. It was 55 years ago today. It, it was, yes. June 1st of 1967, Sergeant Pepper was released. By the way, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. I am Tony Mendoza. I'm TJ Shanoff, and I'm done with pre-show niceties. Let's get to the meat. <laughs> meat. Meat Free Monday. Meat Free Monday. It's a fun day. Meat Free Monday. We are going to, yeah, we're talking, we're going to deep dish Sergeant Pepper. We haven't done Sergeant Pepper yet, and we just spent, the both of us just spent the better part of a week combing through all the different mixes, reading up stuff. We were watching DVDs and all sorts of things, man. We, having been some days in preparation, TJ. That's right. And that was John's first commercial for ass cream. 
Now you can relieve and flame hemorrhoidal tissue with the oxygen action of Preparation H. Oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Ass cream, which gave us the hit Brown Room. This is like the cracked magazine version of a Beatles <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All 98 episodes of it or whatever it is. <laughs> yes, yes. Before we get to Sergeant Pepper, though, I just wanted to say thank you to our producer, Casey Baker, who makes all this possible. Uh, and, you know, like and subscribe uh, however you listen to us. Be nice if you wrote a review, too. We like those. You can call us clowns or punks or fibs. Yeah, fibs, that's what people from Wisconsin call Illinois drivers. Yes. Quick story, TJ. I just went up to the Mars Cheese Castle not long ago to get some lunch. Uh, They stopped serving lunch, but I had a great cheese platter. (laughs) (laughs) Cheese is lunch if you try hard enough. (laughs) Then I went over to the gas station and I got myself like a six-pack of New Glarus beer, which is this beer you can only buy in Wisconsin. And you have to drink it while you're driving before you cross the border. Well, that's what it seemed like. It's 2 p.m. and the cashier was like, oh, starting early. And I was like, so I was like, no, I'm I'm just a fib. I, I just have to come up and get it. And she goes, huh, I've never heard anyone call themselves a fib. <laughs> and I was like, we know, we know what you call us. You know, it doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt me at all. I take, and now it's like, I'm proud to be a fib. By the way, fib stands for? Fucking Illinois bastard. Thank you. Yeah. That's what they call us. I I love, we spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. Shout out to the incredible people in town of Elkhart Lake. And I've urinated on more uh, Chicago Bears logo uh, urinal cakes. (laughs) How could you ever love a team with Jim McMahon? Not even Porky Pig was as big a ham. Um, Before we begin this episode of the Sgt. Pepper, it is the 55th anniversary Let's get this out of the way first. You've got everything all set up. You've got our agenda. You've got the rules. You've got the list. Um, So, uh, but I want to start with this because I feel like up until maybe 15 years ago, Sgt. Pepper was universally called the Beatles' best album. It always ranked number one on the Rolling Stone list and all that. And then I felt like all of a sudden it wasn't the consensus Beatles best album. Yeah. Is this your favorite Beatles album? And if not, does it rank high, mid? Where does Pepper rank for you? That's a good question. It was the first CD I've, I ever bought. And uh, with the CD player, I got like a cheap one of those combos with the cassette and the AM FM radio. And it was the, the CD player, like you pressed eject and it popped out like a cassette deck popped out. Oh, and wow. you just dropped the CD in like it was a cassette. And so you got to see it spinning. So it was vertical and you got to see it spinning. And I remember my grandfather was like, wow, how does it make music? You know, because <laughs> he was used to vinyl or whatever. Right. And to see a CD spinning so fast, it was like a thing. Anyway, um, before I bought it on CD, my mother had had it on cassette. So when I when I first got into the Beatles as a junior high kid, I just sat up in the study the room that nobody ever hung out in ever. I was just listening to Sgt. Pepper on cassette. When, if you remember, it had all the lyrics and it was like perforated. The 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 the, the liner notes or whatever, there's so many in a cassette that they had to fold them over like five times over and the, they were perforated. You had the version from 87 that they issued when the CDs came out. The one I grew up listening to is the one with the blue cover. Oh, that's <laughs> this is this is my Sgt. Pepper cassette. It. They cropped Where the artwork. Then the, the artwork's cropped. It's the blue spine and no information on no the inside. No info. White yeah. cassette. That's crazy. Yeah. 
So I'm very fond of this record, uh, especially having listened to it in preparation for this. I really kind of, I was able to actually kind of go back to that, that those moments as a junior high kid, like alone, like digging this really colorful music and pouring into the lyrics because I don't hear lyrics. And now I could actually follow along like, oh, that's what they're saying. Having been some days in preparation, like, you know, things right. like that. And uh, yeah, I really like this record. So um, is it my favorite? No, no, it's not my favorite. White Album, my favorite. And I think Revolver, but um, I really do like it. I would, I would, I would probably put it three. It's hard because sometimes I'm in a hard day's night mood too or something too. So, you know, like all these things, it depends. Where does it rank for you? They're also hard to quantify. Living in it for a week made it like a top three album again for me. And <laughs> I, I still I take away the magic of Sgt. Pepper isn't in the individual songs. While it includes some of the greatest songs the Beatles ever wrote or recorded, it's not as strong of a track-by-track track album as Revolver. I don't think it's as strong as a track-by-track track album as Magical Mystery Tour. Whoa. I think there are certain... I mean, Magical Mystery Tour has Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on it. Yeah, true. And yeah. I'm the Walrus, and All You Need Is Love. And I mean, so as an album, you could argue the notion that it was a concept album or the phrase concept album was foisted upon it. You sure. know, John and George always kind of doubted, you know, well, we called it that because, or it was a concept album because that's what we called it. Cause we said so. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. we said so. <laughs> um, but uh, taking into acceptance that it is a concept album and arguably the first mainstream successful concept album, it's probably their greatest album start to finish. It's not my favorite album of theirs, start to finish. I think the tracks in Revolver are universally stronger track by track. Yeah. There's no day in the life on Revolver. True. Yeah. True. But like as a as yeah, as a whole, as a piece, even the artwork, like everything about it is a work of art. I think I think that was my my take all. Yes. Was that this was like the first rock record that was actually a piece of art. Like if you bought it at the store, it felt like, oh, I just bought a piece of art. Yeah. You know? And yeah. everyone bought it, Tony. I mean, this, uh, you know, even a casual Beatle fan is aware that when this came out in uh, June 1st of 67, it, I mean, you and I weren't alive then, but by all accounts, it swept the Western world by storm, certainly in the States. It's all people wanted to hear for the duration of the summer of 67. Yes. The uh, AKA the summer of love, which is, you yeah. know, <laughs> Mike loves big summer, <laughs> the summer of Mike love. That's summer 87 <laughs> pushing his, pushing his Republican agenda with Kokomo. <laughs> the future leader of the free world at Camp David right now, smoking a pipe with Yasser Arafat. He reaches into the ashtray. You know, Kenny Rogers gives us faith in the future. Yeah, it came out June 1st, 1967. It was number one for 27 weeks in the UK and 15 weeks in the United States. And uh, this was, so in 67, the Beatles finally renegotiated their contract with EMI. So this is the first Dave Dexter proof Beatles album. Dave Dexter Jr. could no longer touch any of the Beatles stuff. He couldn't put reverb on them. He couldn't rearrange it. He couldn't put when I get home 
after she's leaving home, you know. That's right. My, my, my copy has misery where Benefit Mr. Kite used to be. <laughs> oh, you got one of the rare Dave Dexter. <laughs> right. I, personal one. Uh, however, there were still, even though this was the first album in the Beatles catalog to be standardized worldwide, there are two changes in the original American issues, Tony. Mm. Uh, the mono original American cover looks ex- almost exactly the same. The, this is an original U.S. mono. The cover looks almost exactly the same. However, by the time it was pressed on Apple, there's this yellow stereo label to designate the stereo. And most copies in the 70s and 80s have a white bar at the top and the bottom, which the British stereo did not have. So the American cover, a little like Rubber Soul, was actually slightly different. And the American album never had that inner groove, um, the the, the high-pitched sound for dogs and the gibberish were not on American copies till the CD came out in 87. Yes, and that's why they were on rarities. That's why they, they threw them on there for... The U.S. market, yeah. And that's where it became titled Sgt. Pepper's Inner Groove was for rarities, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Inspirations. I remember, I forget where I heard this, but I I think Paul was saying that they were inspired by uh, Elvis's car. Elvis put his car out on tour. On tour, yeah. And they thought that was fabulous because by the time, you know, touring was, especially by 66, touring was kind of a nightmare, (laughs) you know. Between all the boycotting. Well, and- John was blasphemous and deserved to have his records burned. <laughs> uh, get rid of the Beatles. Ban the records. Uh, let's burn them or do something with them. Yes, sir, I burn them. You burned them on yourself? I've al- already burned them. How did you do it? I mean, where? How? Well, our Sunday school uh, at NYF, we had a program about the Beatles. So after uh, we'd finished cooking the hot dogs, I just put my records on there. <laughs> and rebought, yeah. And rebought man, a million times. <laughs> But Elvis had this gold car on tour for RCA Victor Records in the spring of uh, 1965. TJ, the car hit Atlanta, Anderson, South Carolina, Callaway, Georgia, Anniston, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. Tuscaloosa, Montgomery, Augusta, Georgia, and Canton, Georgia. It's a long, lonely highway. Yeah, they were enamored with this idea that a car could just, like, go out and do the work for them and they could stay home and this car was making him money, you know? Good well, idea. that's what that's what inspired Jay Leno's hobby. <laughs> Just his car collecting. Yeah, that's exactly. And this is where, again, where do we differ? You're Team Leno, I'm Team Letterman, and that's where we've always. Oh, yeah. Well... Hello, I've discovered Cool Ranch flavored Doritos. Imagine creamy Cool Ranch seasonings and one heck of a crunch. See, I feel bad about my mom's car. That's, you know, crunch all you want, you'll make more. <laughs> Crunch all you want, you'll make more. <laughs> I'm, I'm confusing him with the Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> In Soviet <laughs> Union, Doritos crunch you. <laughs> what a country. <laughs> but then I guess on some flight, uh, I, there was some flight. I don't know if it was a flight back from the U.S. or from Kenya, but I guess Paul and Mal Evans were talking about dinner and the, the topic of salt and pepper came up, as we all like to talk about during dinner. Well, and that's when Paul wrote Push It. <laughs> Push it. Ooh, baby, baby. One of the ones they gave away, TJ. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Suck on it, Scylla Black. <laughs> Salt and Pepper's here. But yeah, I guess it was misheard as Sergeant Pepper. And yeah, that put Paul in the mind of like an Edwardian marching band. And that kind of got things going, of course. Uh, that was later on. 
The project didn't start with Sergeant Pepper right away. Yeah, it, it was it was Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving weekend in '66, when Paul and John were on a couch together watching Bears Lions, where they came up with strawberry fields. <laughs> Every time I look at the data when take one of strawberry fields are crumb, I'm like, oh, they must have just finished their fucking turkey and cranberries. So that's why he says what? cranberry sauce at the end, you know. Cranberries. <laughs> He wanted more. It was good. Ringo made good cranberry sauce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first songs, they were both going back to their childhood. Uh, the first songs recorded for the project after they stopped touring and what's next. We don't know what's after revolver. It was a big, we don't know. You know, they all did separate things in the off time. John Lennon did how I won the war, the Dick Lester movie. Ringo visited him. Uh, Ringo otherwise kept to himself. George went off to India, and then Paul was working on a score for uh, The Family Way. The right? Family yeah. Way, that really kind of nice baroque pop British score, which is really nice music. I do the Hiroki Baroki all the time. <laughs> you turn yourself around. Yeah. That's what it's all about, okay? <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about, deal. <laughs> Chill and deal. <laughs> Your Honor, I did put my right hand in, but then I took my right hand out. <laughs> yeah, on the Bible, so right? I can lie. That's what it's all about, on the stand. Right? Uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, so they were in, Yeah, so the first songs they did were about their childhood. It was uh, Strawberry Fields for John. Uh, Penny Lane for Paul, obviously. And when I'm 64, in the middle of that, too. Exactly, yeah. Dusted that one off from, like, uh, it was like when the power went out at the Cavern Club, they would play that. He had that one laying around without lyrics or anything, just kind of a song to play. Yeah, it, it goes back to when he was a teenager listening to his dad's kind of jazz band music is where that came from. Yeah. Um, And, you know, obviously Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane left off the Pepper album. George Martin in multiple interviews or the same interview I've seen nine times. I'm pretty sure in multiple interviews, George Martin referred to it as one of his great regrets. And it's in speed. I mean, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, arguably the greatest double A sided single in the history of, of pop music. I don't think that's that's a bold statement. I think it's just plain truth. And you think, where would those have fit on the Sgt. Pepper album? And isn't it a gift that they didn't include them? The reason they didn't include them is there was a practice. Help me understand this, Tony. Yeah. The practice at the time of, in England especially, because the States it was not the case, but in the UK, not wanting to throw singles onto albums. But didn't Revolver have Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine as a single just what's uh, you know, about a year earlier? You're, you're right. They did do that. I think the reasoning, because I just, I'm reading uh, Rodriguez's Revolver book, and he addressed great that. Great book. It is great. I'm almost done with it. And uh, he also has a great podcast as well about the Beatles called Something About the Beatles. Great podcast, yeah. And um, yeah, they were talking about how, like, when Yesterday came out in the UK, they didn't release it as a single, and everyone put out all these covers of it and made all this money off the covers or whatever. So it was kind of like in response to trying to beat people out to making to doing covers of Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, funny songs that probably wouldn't get covered as much as yesterday, but th I think that was the mentality on that. Okay. It interesting. Yeah, cuz I I read I read uh Rob, the Robert Rodriguez book, but I don't remember that as as a reason. Um 
I, I do remember Hoobastanks hit the reason. <laughs> you know, Tony, I'm not a perfect person. Not a perfect person. That is one of the worst hits. <laughs> I found a reason for me. I mean, the summer of love, I think, smelled a lot like Hoobastank, if, if I may. <laughs> I wasn't there, but I, I heard the stories I've read about Timothy Leary's uh, Birkenstocks. Birkenstanks. Birkenstanks. I got a cousin with that name. Um, but yeah, so uh, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, it's weird to hear George Martin, the fifth Beatle, the responsible for kind of helming almost every single Beatles record, with the exception of the new Phase album, um, uh, saying that he regretted not having Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on Sgt. Pepper. And I always think, what would they have taken the place of? What yeah. would have gotten kicked off? Yeah, I, that's the exact same question I have too. I disagree with I disagree with George Martin. I think it's an amazing single, and I think those songs are so unique to themselves. I could see them fitting on Pepper, I suppose, but like, I like it how it is, and I like Pepper how it is. Me too. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we graduated to people who just say Pepper. You know what I mean? We are like we're almost Beatles scholars, TJ. Almost. Almost. Well, isn't that, didn't Paul? Doesn't Paul refer to it as Pepper? I think I picked it up he from must. Paul. Uh, I picked, picked up Pepper from, from Paul. That's my vocal warm up <laughs> for our show. Pick a Pepper Paka Puka. Pick a Pepper Paka. Shut up. You're doing an improv show. You're doing a vocal. You want to do a musical warm up for 20 minutes? You're going to sing for eight seconds. Stop wasting everyone's time. Unique New York. Unique New York. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. English horseradish sauce. English horseradish sauce. Brush each pretzel. Brush each pretzel. Well, Sgt. Pepper, of course, was a Lonely Hearts Club band, a long name. A lot of, a lot of wordy titles on this record, and uh, that was all part of the whole San Francisco thing. Big Brother and the Holding Company. Quicksilver Messenger Service. Uncle Joe's Medicine Show with uh, Dancing Burrs and uh, Elixir of Life. You know, those kind of jokey titles. Peanut Butter Conspiracy. Why did I get so high just to see our love die? Oh, why did I get so high? West Coast Pop Experimental Band. If Tracy wants to know I'm gone before I I'm tired of telling her speed kills. Tracy had a hard day Sunday. She had to be herself. Lothar and the hand people. A moment of truth and the space between us melts into the everywhere. Ah, open up your heart. And my favorite. Frumius Bandersnatch. That's, that's my favorite Dinosaur Jr. album. <laughs> I think it's a Lewis Carroll reference, I'm pretty sure. And, TJ, guys from Frumius Bandersnatch went on to be in A, the Steve Miller Band, and B, Journey. You're kidding. I, I am not. I am not. Whoa. I <laughs> welcome that story with open arms. <laughs> I welcome it with closed bandersnatch. <laughs> it's the best kind of bandersnatch. Nope. Got to work for it. No bandersnatch for you. <laughs> uh, it was also influenced by Pet Sounds. Uh, musically, I believe Paul, and this is kind of Paul's baby, really. Let's be honest. 
Ball's the guy who came up with the whole Sgt. Pepper thing and ran, yeah. like, really ran with it. This is a lot of people cite Sgt. Pepper as the ascension of Paul McCartney's creative force in the band over Lennon. What do you think of that? Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, and. Paul Peter p- p- picked up. <laughs> Free flea spray. Free flea spray. Peter So Why are you warming up like that? No, you, It doesn't do you any good. Also, show up to an improv show warmed up. Don't waste my time. I'm many mumbling mice. You're not in high school. Warm up in the car on the way here. God. All right, TJ, let's do a 30-minute vocal warm-up. Why? We're playing Sing It for five minutes in three hours. What the fuck's a warm-up going to do? This is why I'm not working. Uh, (laughs) Musical director grievances. (laughs) Welcome to musical director grievances. Where are all our oars? Where are all our oars? Where are all our orbs? And, and now, what were we talking about? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Oh, Paul's ascension. Paul's ascension. <laughs> yes. We're talking about the Bible now. Yes. When about Paul, <laughs> he went up there with Jesus. No, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Jesus is just all white with me. Jesus is just all white. Oh, yeah. I don't think they were comparing themselves to Jesus. I think they were deploring the fact that um, teenagers, you know, like rock and roll better than... Christianity. So, yes, Paul's ascent uh, clearly started with Sgt. Pepper, and then you saw him taking the lead in Magical Mystery Tour. It became more of a group thing in the White Album. Yeah. But then again, you look at the bulk of Abbey Road, and that's back to kind of Paul again, too, certainly helming that second side. But for Sgt. Pepper, yes, while primarily a Paul-inspired project, even though Paul is a third of a day in the life, uh, that's a John song to end this record. The classic yeah. song on here, yes, is a John and Paul song, but it's mostly John. I don't want to say John gets the last laugh, but the greatest, I believe, it's not my favorite Beatles composition, but I think arguably the greatest Lennon McCartney composition is A Day in the Life, and that exists primarily because of John, and it's on this record. Yeah, man. That's the song that really got me into this band for real. Like where I was like, I, I ate it up. It was that song. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Think of all the layers. Think of all the... Te- That's the one, and we'll get to this when we run through the the uh, 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 the every track, but just so I don't forget, that's the one where Leonard Bernstein said there's three bars of that that still inspires and moves him. I think this music has something terribly important to tell us adults, and we would be wise not to behave like ostriches about it. She said, you don't understand what I said. I said, no, 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 you're wrong. When I was a boy, everything was right. Did you get it? I mean, that's the thing about this record. This record, this is the first Beatles record, maybe other than the Hard Day's Night soundtrack, that got non-Beatle fans, classical fans, jazz fans, people who thumbed their nose at rock. Yeah. who still consider themselves artsy, yeah. they bought into this album. This, this album transcended rock. It transcended Beatle fandom. And I don't know, other than, no joke, other than maybe Thriller, has there ever been an album in the history of music that has transcended so many genres and boundaries and turned on people who previously didn't give a fuck? Yeah, yeah. There was that that Village People record, you know. They- oh, go west! <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to shit on the Village People. I couldn't think of like a. 
Yeah, actually, like the Bill Village people are great. So. In addition to Pet Sounds being uh, the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds being uh, an influence with a, a lot of the orchestration, a lot of the, uh, yeah, a lot of the session players that played on this. Freak Out by Mothers of Invention was also an influence on Paul, who I guess kept saying, this is our freak out. Wowie zowie, baby, you're so neat. I don't even care if you shave your legs. Uh, obviously Indian music. And then Paul was also really into Stockhausen, the avant-garde uh, music concrete, or whatever you want to call that, uh, artsy-fartsy stuff. Longtime Utah jazz point guard, John Stockhausen, <laughs> used to grab people by the newts. Well, he made it onto the cover. The, <laughs> the, the basketball player, that is. My, my copy's got John Stockton and Carl Malone <laughs> on the cover. Oh, who knew Dave Dexter was such a hoops head in the 90s? <laughs> I like that Dave Dexter put in different people on the cover. <laughs> There's a, in, in the, uh, the John the Wayne. Like, <laughs> so funny. Real Americans on here. <laughs> the guy who's saying real American from Survivor, Jim Pederick. Yeah, Pederick to you. Uh, I read in, in the, the Bruce Spicer book about the Capitol album says that there's uh Capitol executives made a mock-up cover for a Capitol sales conference in Florida where they superimposed their photos on the album cover. Of course they did. <laughs> and that's tacky. I don't, that's not on my Holy grail. I don't want that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's icky. That's icky. Icky woods. That's right. Well, yeah. Should we talk about the cover? Cause the cover is amazing. You have to talk about the cover. If we're talking about Sergeant Pepper, we should talk a little bit about the cover. Yeah. The cover's legendary. Sure. I, lo I love this thing. So yeah, this is the thing I stared at like all through junior high. And when the cassette came out, it didn't have the little key that let you know who everyone was. But when the CDs came out in 87, uh, you got the key, uh, which tells you all, which is just so great. It tells you everything, who everyone was, who was eliminated as well. Leo Gorsi, the actor. He wanted, he, did he want, is he the one who wanted 500 pounds to do it? Yeah, he wanted some fee. I forget yeah. what the amount was. Over 400 bucks. But yeah, he wanted like his thing. And so they're like, well, they just airbrushed him out. Yeah. And then uh, also on the sidelines, if you see those uh, BTS pictures, uh, behind the scenes, not the K-pop group or whatever, uh, you can see like they did go through the process of putting good old Hitler. They had Hitler ready to go. Why it's good old reliable Hitler, 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 Hitler on a Beatles album. Yeah. I'm really glad. That was John being provocative. Of course, that was one of John's. He wanted Jesus yeah. and Hitler, the great comedy team, the great duo. That's right. You know, <laughs> if those two can get along, we anyone can get along. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that actually could have saved the world, really, but didn't happen. Uh-uh. Different times. Oh, boy. And uh, They wanted anyway. Gandhi, right? But they yeah. were too afraid of upsetting the EMI affiliate in India? 
Is that why? I I had yeah. also heard that it, because it had been so close to Lenin's comments about Jesus or something that maybe Gandhi was off. I, I don't know, man. Might have been that too. Why don't you put Maureen Cleave on the cover? <laughs> Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo. A different Maureen, we know. <laughs> well, Gandhi actually is on. Well, he's not on the cover, but they didn't. They uh, they airbrushed him out as well. He's by the palm tree, but uh, behind Marlene Dietrich. You're an imbecile. I love this. So yeah, it was designed by Peter Blake and his wife Jan Hayworth, who was born in the U.S. Uh, Peter Blake, yeah, he was part of the pop art movement. And uh, it came at the suggestion from Robert Fraser, the, the art gallery owner. By the way, who turned Paul on to, like, cocaine during Sgt. Pepper? Did you hear this? Mm-mm. Yeah, Paul was on cocaine a lot for Sgt. Pepper. Fun, baby. I don't know that I ever knew that. It's an uncut, it's the publication, uncut interview. I want to say... 2014 or 2004, I forget which year. Yeah, you know, I, I I read that Barry Miles book, the biography, and I don't remember that being talked about in there, but it was also a long time ago. But is that one of those tall tales? Well, he did an interview where he said he did it. Okay. It's Uncut Magazine. I know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> I was Uncut's like... a great magazine for a cocaine <laughs> reference. <laughs> Well, anyway, Peter Blake also designed the Who's Face Dances LP, TJ. It's right. People forget. People forget. No, wait, that's It's Hard. Never mind. I tried. (laughs) I tried to come up with a reference. Uh, He also designed the artwork for the Band-Aid single, Do They Know It's Christmas? (laughs) Which looks like the Sgt. Pepper cover, only with Christmas stuff, I think. You know, there was like a like a Canadian indie rock, Do They Know It's Halloween thing? And uh-huh. like Beck's on it and David Cross, Elvira. It's kind of wild. Oh, that's fun. They had uh, pitched uh, The Fool... Um, yes. To design the cover, it was rejected, and they designed that inner sleeve, that kind of um, psychedelic uh, white, red, pink uh, inner jacket that used to come with a lot of copies up through, I think, the 70s. They were still pr- uh, pressing it with that. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm pulling it out. The cover, that is. The sleeve. <laughs> ding dong, ding <laughs> dong. Why was that left off Pepper? First they ditch Northern Song, and then they don't put on ding dong? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's a great cover. Is there anyone on the cover that, uh, of all the celebs, are there any celebs that stand out to you that you would always kind of gra- your eyes gravitate toward? Since I started uh, listening to this album, my eyes have always gravitated at one of the best jokes, one of the best things is the Shirley Temple doll wearing a shirt that says, Welcome the Rolling Stones is just great. I used to live in the orphanage, but they were awful mean to me. And now I'm on a vacation. Yeah, 57 photographs, nine waxworks. What else? Who else stands out to you? Bob Dylan's always stood out to me, me because too. of his relationship with the Beatles, his placement on the cover. It's a very stark black and white and a sea of other color photos around him. And Dylan was au courant then, right? I mean, he was, or was this, this was post-motorcycle incident? This is somewhere around the motorcycle accident. Yeah. 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 Him and Paul both had these uh, 
these incidents on motorbikes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Paul's causing a split lip, and therefore that's why he grew a mustache. Yeah. And then later everyone else grew a mustache, including Neil and Mal. They, yes. <laughs> yeah. So they became the, the Oakland A's mustache crew before. <laughs> hey, is that Dennis Eckersley or yeah. Derek Taylor? <laughs> known as the Amazing A's, and more than any team in the 70s, they set the style for a new era of baseball. Or was it an old era of baseball? Mustachioed faces, handlebars not excluded, matched the rugged yet stylish image of players from a century ago. Well, uh, yeah, the one one of the guys that always stands out to me, it's the guy in the wraparound sunglasses, kind of uh, in the, towards the left. That's uh, Terry Southern who was a satirist, and he wrote uh, the novel The Magic Christian. Right. And he briefly wrote for SNL in 1981. He was one of, like, the weird year. Yeah. Was that the year that uh, Ebersol ran yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> now, let me give you some background on Dick, Mr. Humor Ebersol. I know Dick, and I can tell you that he doesn't know Dick. Also, he uh, credits include Easy Rider, Barbarella, and Dr. Strangelove. So Three for three. Yeah. And Poe always stands out to me, too. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, I love this cover. It, it, it's art. I mean, as much as, like, Revolver was art of a different kind, think about it, too. Like, you and I view this, and most Beatle fans now view this through the lens of history. Imagine buying this on June 1, where the last Beatles album you held in your hands, at least in the States, is Revolver. In the UK, it was the very differently colorful collection of Beatles oldies. And all right. of a sudden, this new Beatles album is making your eyes water before you've even heard a note. Yeah, man. And the first to have the lyrics printed on the back. Oh, yeah. That, hey. th what a stunning development that was in 1967. That's the thing about the Beatles. They initiated and developed almost every major movement in recorded rock pop history. Welcome to Font Lover's Corner. And now it's time for Font Lover's Corner, TJ. The font of the lyrics on the back of the Sgt. Pepper cover is Baskerville Serial. It's a serif typeface designed in the 1750s by John Baskerville in Birmingham, England. The punch cutter on this, by the way, was John Handy. And this font... Mm. <laughs> Critics of the font, TJ, claim that the stark contrasts in printing damaged the eyes. Thank you for visiting Font Lover's Corner. Fonts, fonts, love those fonts. And I'm sorry, Tony, what was that font again? Baskerville cereal. Yes, and for a brief time in the 90s, Channel 2 in Chicago tried a honey-flavored <laughs> cereal after Weatherman Steve Baskerville, based on that same font. Steve Baskerville! December will not be coming in like a lamb. <laughs> See, I always, I always liked my favorite monster cereal was Howard Sudbury. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Avalos. <laughs> These are very obscure Chicago references for you. Oh, do you remember Jim Tillman flakes? <laughs> <laughs> we have three Chicago listeners in their 40s or 50s who are loving these. Yeah. A, a couple other little notes on uh, trivia. I love the trivia stuff, man. So the Hyacinth guitar was a contribution from the delivery boy, 
at Clifton Nurseries. They're the people who did all the uh, floral arrangement there, which was uh, Jan Hayworth's idea. And, uh, you know, people always said they had pot plants on the album. Yeah, that was the controversy, right? The, the flowers around the Beatles uh, spelled out. Right. Yeah. Just above that, it's everyone said that's pot. So, no, that wasn't pot. That was, excuse me, where did it go? On my fucking notes. So seriously, man, there are so many notes. It's hard for me to like, if I'm jumping around, it's hard for me to, because it's good. This is good. This is a good. <laughs> it's good. Right? It's right? This it's good. good. Sorry, whoever's cutting this. Three, two, one. So those are not pot plants, TJ. Those are radiator plants called peperomia. Sergeant peperomia. Thanks for the peperomia. And thanks for the pepperoni. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say, I wanted to give kudos to the woman who did all the clearances. She was like a former aide of Brian Epstein's. She was freelancing and doing her own thing, but she did all the clearances for Sergeant Pepper. Her name was Wendy Hansen. So thank That's you, right. Wendy. Thank you. What? One of the great temp jobs ever. <laughs> yeah. 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 She doesn't get residuals on that, by the Mm-mm. way. She she got her pence or whatever it was and split. Three pence, six pence, the three farthing, the half groat. You know who else gets her pence is Mike Pence's mother. <laughs> oh, you mean his wife? <laughs> <laughs> you, yes, his mother. Oh, wait, his Yoko. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a terrible parallel. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it brings us together, you know? As for you, all, all cultures. Uh, again, and then let's talk briefly about the inserts. This record came with inserts. Uh, what's great about these 2009 reissues on vinyl is that you also get this stuff too, which is just yeah. great. Because uh, you didn't get the stuff with the CDs or whatever, you know? Uh, you, you could see them, I think. The CD, the 87 CD had, you could see what they looked like, but... You know, the back, the the long box for the 87 CD oh, had the yeah. cutouts on the long box. Yeah. Because that's how I bought it, and I forgot. I think I had those hanging on my wall for the longest time. I, You know, they since have gone away. I totally forgot about that. Well, and Tony, quickly, the 87 CD, when it came out, before I keep on the packaging, the 87 CD was a media event. It was the 20th anniversary. There was a special produced for it. Uh, there was a, a couple books about it. All the local papers wrote about it. It came out as, it's the only Beatles CD that came out as just one CD in June 1 of 87. And it's the only Beatles CD in the original batch that had current commentary from Mark Lewison. All the other CDs were just kind of slapdash, booklet-free. You open it up and it would say, you know, AAD, DDD, you know, would give the CD descriptions of mastering. And like in the Rubber Soul case, like the cut-up photos in a different order. Sgt. Pepper, the CD, was the only original Beatles CD other than Past Masters to be taken seriously in terms of content and a booklet. It was 20 years ago today, record buyers laid hands on this album for the first time, discovered lyrics printed on the back cover for the first time. And when they opened it out, found the Beatles inviting all and sundry to join the fun. In the life of... To have the mic on the piano quite low, just keeping it like maracas, you know. You know those old pianos. Let's talk about the, the recording process a little bit. We already mentioned it started with Strawberry Fields, When I'm 64, and Penny Lane at the end of 66, with the vague concept of childhood. And then, yeah, so then we had the single, 
EMI pressed them for a single in February, and then so they lost those two amazing songs for the album. I guess if you're coming at it from George Martin's perspective of that time as trying to assemble a record, I can see why he was like, oh, I lost like two amazing songs. Now all I've got yeah. is when I'm 64, which yeah. is kind of a pastiche. You know what I mean? Like, so to have to start all over. And insult to injury, it didn't make number one. It was the famous story that they talk about quite a bit in Anthology, which I love, is it was held back by Engelbert Humperdinck's Release Me. Yes. Which had a whole different audience, but, you know, some songs just catch on for whatever reason. It kept it out of the number one spot, and there was talk in the press of, like, see, they took a long time to make the new single. It's very different. Uh, didn't reach number one. The glow's finally coming off the Beatles. Yeah. And then, what, three, four months later, the world would change with the release of the full album. Yeah. I think a lot of people thought 66 was, like, the end for the Beatles, you know, the way things were going with all that turmoil and like, oh, they stopped touring and whoa, we haven't heard from them in a while. And people were like chomping at the bit to be like, all right, we're done with those guys. But really, they were just switching the game up and yeah, doing their thing, being original. Like one of my favorite clips from Anthology where they have the uh, the film crew desperately trying to get fans. I think maybe at, at Shea Stadium in 66. Did they do Shea in 66. I think they did, yeah. I, yeah. I think they did, but even like Harrison didn't remember that. I think, and it didn't. Right, it didn't. It only sold half the tickets. That's yeah. right, and uh, or like at ten thousand empty seats. And yeah. there's a reporter fishing for like, don't you dislike the Beatles? And all the girls, the teenagers, and the young women are like, no, I love. They're 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 great. They they make me emotional. I love the Beatles. And then this one little girl goes, yeah, yeah girl. I'm over them. I like Herman and the Hermits. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that girl. And she's like seven or something. Like that's. <laughs> You know, her mind's not developed. She grew up to marry Clarence Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I bet there's another group you like better now than the Beatles. There There is. Which one? Herman and the Hermit. I don't know if you saw the movie Help. I really had no connection with them. Yes, as as mentioned before or not, depending on whether it makes it in, uh, I read in Uncut Magazine that Paul started taking cocaine during these recordings, and he often left the bass tracks to be done last yes. so that he could perfect them and he could play to things. We saw that in Rain, where he does that little fill that matches Ringo's drum fill. Doom, doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. So good. Uh, and that was because he knew how Ringo's drum fill went, so he could actually do this. So... He learned from Rain, like, oh, I'll leave bass last, also because it's going to be louder, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because yeah. whatever you do last is loudest. Um, but I, yeah, there's a lot of those like Sgt. Pepper uh, bootleggy things where you just hear the bass and uh, isolated. And it's, I just always imagine Paul there late at night alone, you know, because he was the city dude out of all of them, yeah. uh, just working on those bass parts at like three in the morning. They started like using, red lights in the studio too to create an atmosphere and i want to say maybe they had some jaw sticks as they like to call them incense burning and all that yeah incense and peppermint <laughs> <Sha-la-la>. <laughs> 
and then the day in life, you can actually hear a strawberry alarm clock go off. After, <laughs> after the all, all ties together. All super ties influenced. Together. And since po- was that 67? That's 67, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a great song. It is a great song. And I've always mentioned I like the B-side, too, the Birdman of Alcatraz. Even though you'll find it strange all along, the Birdman really was me. I don't know that one. Are you sure that's not Arthur Brown? <laughs> I'm sure. Brandon. I'm sure. It sounds like Arthur Brown, though. Um, Mrs. Arthur Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. <laughs> I like Harmon and the Hermits. <laughs> Shut up, young Ginny. If you like young Sheldon, you'll hate young Ginny. Turn the election results over. I'm seven. <laughs> the monkeys are better than the Beatles. <laughs> Um, Ringo began playing calfskin heads, which have a deeper timber than plastic heads, and you can really hear it. That was the original name, the Cleveland Indians, and then they had to change it to the Indians, then it became the Guardians. Now batting for your Cleveland calfskin heads. <laughs> Reed Frank. <laughs> that was that's my minor league, the real minor league player I saw well done. a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, what else? What else do I have to say? Oh, yeah. They s- considered making a video for each of these songs on Pepper and then broadcasting yeah. it on TV. That was another idea, but it was uh, cost prohibitive to EMI. Yeah. So they waited to, to film Magical Mystery Tour, and then that became a disaster shown in black and white the uh, later that Christmas in 67. Boxing Day, right? Boxing Day, it. yeah. Now, TJ, I'm sure you're aware there was an original side one sequence that differs from the way we hear it today, right? That's right. That's what I loved about the liner notes and all the stuff when when you picked this up. You know, they had little recording notes. I'm holding in my hand the original 1987 liner uh, CD booklet. Tony, isn't there a note in that CD booklet that says, like, if you want to hear it the way it was originally done, you can program your CD player accordingly? Am I remembering yeah, that? Yeah, here. By suitably programming your compact disc hardware, you'll be able to hear the album as it was originally intended. What a great note. It's like uh, uh, Beatles VI, which you call Beatles 6, like cowards do, where it says, see label for correct playing order. (laughs) By the way, there's another note on here. Extracted from the Beatles at Abbey Road to be published late 1987. Yeah, and I think the book didn't come out till 88. I think there was some... Delay, unless it was Christmas 87. I know I got I got that book for my 14th birthday in 1988. That's what I remember getting it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it a little later, but it, uh, I bought it um, when I was a senior in high school. And I read it uh, while working the overnights at a gas station. And I loved it. I, that, like, yeah. Between like, oh, you need your Marlboros or whatever, your Pall Malls. <laughs> and then I would just dig back into this book and it was, I loved yeah. it. What's the first time I learned about Carnival of Light was from recording sessions. That's amazing. That's a good book. Yeah, Mark Lewison's recording sessions book, which was very integral in research for today. Oh, so the original side one sequence goes Sergeant Pepper. With a little help from my friends. Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Fixing a hole. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Getting Better, and then ending with She's Leaving Home. Bye-bye. 
So get your hardware on your compact disc ready there and crack that out. Program your Fisher CD player. That was my first (laughs) one was a Fisher. They later made mixed nuts. (laughs) And then Fisher Price came out with a camcorder later that year that used audio cassettes to record, if you remember that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) This is the Fisher Price PXL 2000 camcorder. It was launched in 1987 as a children's toy and over the years has gained a bit of a cult following. Firstly, as far as I'm aware, this is the only camera to record onto a standard audio cassette. And there might be a reason for that, because the picture quality is truly awful. You want to talk mono stereo, yeah? A little bit? Yeah, just a a quick discussion, because this was an album that was mixed for mono, that many people would say the Beatles supervised the mono mix and didn't pay attention to the stereo mix. And the mono was pretty widely sold in this thing, but it never really appeared because mono was also on its way out. So the stereo version has largely been the accepted version of this from the late 60s through the mono CD set that came out in 2009. And I had a mono bootleg of this. I never had mono on vinyl, but I got a mono bootleg CD somewhere in the early 2000s. And it was mastered from, I think, a reel to reel. So there was tape hiss, but no vinyl sound. And it it floored me, Tony. I mean, I, I, other than some of the differences that are obvious, like Faster She's Leaving Home... Um, some of the crowd noise and the the effect going from Good Morning, Good Morning into the yeah. Sgt. Pepper reprise, which is very different. Very different. Um, the phasing in Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and yeah. the double track is just phased differently. Uh, I know it's cliche, and I know it's kind of the cool kid thing to say, but in listening to this over and over again, number one, the original remaster of this and the 09 stereo remaster of this are lovely. As much as I love the Giles Martin remixes, in some respects, the 2017 remix of this isn't entirely necessary. I like huh. that it's got faster She's Leaving Home in stereo. <laughs> I respect that choice. Um, but the mono is the definitive way, I think, to hear this album. There are certainly moments where the stereo may be preferable to some, but from the opening crowd notes to the thump of the beginning of the Sgt. Pepper intro with, with the guitar and drums, I think mono's the way I always want to hear this album going forward. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I might be I might be more of a stereo guy, to be quite honest. There's little nuances, and maybe when we go track by track in the next episode. <laughs> Part three. <laughs> Hope you're free this week in case you got some editing to do. <laughs> Yes, yes. We'll, we'll we'll go over some more of those stereo mono discrepancies as we go track by track in our next episode, part two of the Sgt. Pepper 55th anniversary deep dish. Go deep or go home. I'm Tony Mendoza. I'm TJ Shannon. Thanks, everybody. We off the air. I like the Bee Gees version of this better. I don't know if it's something I want to say that I want to be broadcast, but I feel... Have you heard Sandy Farina do Strawberry Fields? Strawberry Fields <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. What John Lennon said really didn't have any effect on me because, well, I think for myself, and there's certainly no comparison between Jesus Christ and John Lennon because I don't think that Christ came to be popular. As a matter of fact, he was one of the most unpopular people that have ever been alive. Just for yourself, cause